0: Welcome to the conversation. Pleased to uh, chat with you about on this Wednesday. Want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. We're following the latest warning from the DEA about a dangerous new drug and millions who could lose their Medicaid benefits due to these new policies. I'm Courtney Hicks
1: and I'm Nicole Light Corte. Plus, how a Black community in Florida is fighting to keep their land sacred and the black musician who's breaking world records. They're the stories that impact our people.
0: Our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our first conversation of the day as Michigan will pay $600 million to settle lawsuits over Flint's water contamination. It's the largest settlement in the state's history. Now, those funds will be allocated to those affected, including minors exposed to contaminated water, property damage claims, special education services, and business losses. The contamination occurred when the city switched its drinking water source to the Flint River, exposing up to 12,000 children to lead contaminated water and causing a Legionnaires disease outbreak that killed at least 12 people. The attorney general said the settlement provides compensation for the hardship and health effects suffered by the people of Flint. Can't put a price tag on that, though, Neek
1: You're absolutely right. You can't put a price tag on it. And I think the fact that only 2%, 2% of these funds will go towards special education services mm-hmm. uh, in that county and the remaining 8% will go to... Uh, businesses that have experienced their losses, Uh, $600 million sounds like a lot of money, you know, but considering the lingering impact uh, of the Flint water crisis, there are plenty out there that say, "Mm, may not be enough.
0: And it's still an ongoing battle, even if it's just mental. A lot of people still aren't trusting the water. A lot of lives still have, have not gotten back to normal and probably never will. You're still suffering from the ailments um, associated with uh, this contaminated water. Again, you can't put a price tag on it. And just because you know the Flint story isn't in the headlines doesn't mean uh, the suffering doesn't continue, doesn't mean the efforts like with Little Miss Flint is still continuing. Um, and that's why we have to continue to tap into stories like this, and follow up so we can let the soulmates know what's really happening.
1: And it doesn't mean that generations of people won't be impacted by this. That's right. The family of Shinquilla Robinson, who died mysteriously while on vacation in Mexico, is demanding justice after a letter named Dejeuner Jackson as the attacker. The family is pleading with U.S. government officials to bring federal charges against those responsible for Robinson's death as evidence was possibly transported and, and persons of interest communicated with each other via cell phone. An autopsy revealed that Robinson died from spinal cord injury. The case is still ongoing, and the White House advise that there isn't much
0: they can say, which is why we have to again keep these stories uh, in the spotlight. Keep uh, shunquilla's name, you know, top of mind and in our mouths and keep the family uplifted in prayer and and not only prayer, but but whatever we can do to uh, aid the process of justice. I know we've had uh, Sue uh, Sue Ann Robinson on who talked a lot about the difficulties with dealing with a whole nother country whole nother mindset, a whole nother state of 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 laws, if you will. But the push to get them prosecuted here in the states is ongoing and i'm just praying uh, for justice in the meanwhile we're going to have to continue to really talk about this case so it doesn't get lost in the sauce as most cases uh, often do
1: yeah and to your point i mean you know it's important that we remember that shanquilla Shun- was a person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important that we go beyond the headlines and, you know, her family just celebrated what would have been Shinquilla's Mm -hmm. 26th birthday. And so, Mm uh, you know, it's it is admirable that they're able to power, uh, through that pain, uh, in in demand justice.
0: Real serious uh, problem here as the D. E. A. Has warned about the rise of fentanyl mixed with xylazine, in a powerful animal sedative that can cause severe wounds leading to amputations. Now, Xylazine is used in combination with fentanyl to lengthen its effects, and Narcan does not reverse its effects. Now, the DEA seized xylacan, xylazine, excuse me, and fentanyl uh, mixtures in 48 states, and over 23% of fentanyl powder and 7% of fentanyl pills seized contained xylazine. Now, the Zanola and Jalisco cartels in Mexico are primarily responsible for the majority of fentanyl being. Trafficked here in the U.S. using chemicals sourced from China.
1: I mean, it's important to note this is a serious problem, and mm-hmm. and you know, over a hundred thousand Americans, you know, have died. Yes. Uh, this is according to the DEA. They have died related to drug poisoning, mm-hmm. uh, more commonly uh, from fentanyl po- poisoning, and so this is a serious issue. This isn't just you know something that's impacting folks that aren't in our community. Mm-hmm. This is a pe- affecting Black folks.
0: Yeah and this concoction of drugs is just so destructive, you know, physically to your body. I've, I've seen some of the, the sores and the legions that appear and they're calling it like the zombie drug because you just have people who have taken it and they're just like in this state of perpetual, like it looks like a coma or sleepiness mm. and they're standing or they're sitting and they almost look deceased, uh, if you will. So just a very scary looking effect uh, to this drug.
1: Yeah. And in 48 of the 50 states. Right. And so that gives you a sense of how Widespread, widespread it is. Mm-hmm. Well, Senator Rand Paul tweeted that the Manhattan district attorney should be put in jail if former President Trump is indicted over payments to adult film star Stormy Daniels. Trump has criticized the district attorney's office and called for his supporters to protest. Manhattan district attorney Alvin Braggs has not commented on the claim. Senator Paul and other Trump supporters denounced the investigation as politically motivated. CNN reported that Bragg assured his office that threats against the rule of law will not be tolerated.
0: Listen, our guest yesterday, uh, head of the NAACP down there uh, in Georgia, mm-hmm. said, "Look, this time, this time around, it doesn't look like Trump's antics are gonna work. People are really expecting, you know, an indictment. I think it's it's been a good look for this particular um, DA. He's been criticized at the very top uh, of his." Uh, uh, reign in office, if you will, which was uh, last year. A couple of uh, key uh, prosecutors and employees uh, left. Um, he's been criticized with this soft approach uh, on, on crime there in that Manhattan area. But I think this case as it has moved along, because he's got some criticism on dragging his feet uh, with this particular uh, Trump situation. But I think as it's moved along, he is really uh, finding his footing, and uh, he's going to do what he feels needs to be done. He was just going to take his time and not uh, allow anybody to push yeah. him into anything that was uh, too premature. But he seems to be standing his ground uh, this time around, and I think he's gaining some fans here.
1: And it's, and it's interesting to see so many Republicans really sort of circling their wagons around the district attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Senator Rand Paul tweeted uh, that a Trump indictment would be a disgusting abuse of power. I think what's an abuse of power is being a sitting United States senator, you know, and, you know, threatening, you know, a seeking to undermine an active investigation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that is a heinous abuse of yeah. power
0: speaking of undermining a bomb threat was called into a lower Manhattan court on Tuesday just before a judge was set to hear a 250 million dollar lawsuit against former President Trump. Now, the courthouse was closed and searched and authorities found the threat was unfounded. This civil rights lawsuit alleges that Trump, his company and family inflated the value of their real estate assets. Trump attacked New York Attorney General Letitia James on social media following the news of the bomb threat, calling for a congressional investigation and calling the lawsuit, quote, completely bogus.
1: Of course, he said that. Of course, he's calling it completely bogus. I mean, we're just seeing just another example. Talk about abuse of power, Mm -hmm. right? You know, this is a former president that, you know, it seems that every twist and turn is seeking to undermine. You know, this investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is an alleged indictment. It hasn't happened uh, yet, Uh, but you know, this is going to be you know tough. I think for the country, um, especially as we're heading into the 2024 election, I think you're gonna you're gonna see the former president continue uh, to politicize uh, this very issue.
0: Yeah, I don't think the distractions this time around like like they were like they worked in his presidency. I don't think the distractions in, in what he puts out on social media. I don't think people are falling for the banana in the tailpipe as maybe they once did, with the exception of his his very close uh, followers and supporters.
1: Well, a white supremacist group leader, Nicholas Welker, was arrested in San Jose, California, on Tuesday for conspiring to make death threats against a Brooklyn-based journalist. His complaint alleged that Welker conspired with others to make death threats against a journalist who had reported on the extremist group. Now, according to the complaint, the Fuhr-Craig division is an, quote, internationally, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist group, that encourages attacks on racial minorities, the LGBTQ plus community, the U.S. government, journalists and critical infrastructure. Welker could face up to five years in prison if convicted.
0: If if guilty, um, you know, let's hope he experienced the full extent of the law and gets what he deserves based upon, you know, whatever he is found to be uh, guilty of. And it just, you know, stories like this just continue, continue to perpetuate the fight uh, for justice and equality. And that, uh, you know, we can't, we can't throw our hands up. We can't grow weary of it. Uh, There are people who are just as adamant about the opposite side of your perspective as you are about your perspective and your position. And this is, this is proof.
1: Yeah. And people should be able to have differing perspectives, differing opinions, you know, without fear for their life, right? right? And so for some of us that check multiple boxes, Mm -hmm. you know, as folks that are black, Mm -hmm. as folks that are LGBTQ, as folks that are journalists, right? You know, we shouldn't have to live in fear that just by reporting, you know, the facts Mm -hmm. and sharing our perspective uh, with a larger audience, that that, that makes our life at risk. It puts our family's life at risk Mm -hmm. and quite frankly, undermines uh, the freedom of the press and our freedom of speech.
0: Speaking of uh, journalists and and the press, let's go to Mississippi where news anchor Barbie Bassett was fired from WLBT in Jackson after making racially insensitive comments on air. Now during a segment on Snoop Dogg's wine collection, this was back on March 8th, Bassett used the phrase for shizzle my nizzle. Now we all know what that means. The comments sparked backlash on social media, resulting in her termination after 20 years with the station. Now, this isn't the first time Bassett has been accused of making racist remarks and had previously issued an apology in response to the recent incident. Bassett apologized for her comment and expressed a desire to participate in training to better understand history and people. What say you, ni
1: I think, if anything, she's guilty of being tone deaf. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there are plenty of people out there that, you know, sometimes, you know, Um, say things that they regret, you Mm -hmm. know, and and when you have the awesome responsibility of being able to sit at a a news desk like this, uh, you know, uh, that uh, pressure uh, exists to get it right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the past, she had, you know, used the term grand mammy, uh, which, you know, to some folks in the South, you know, you know, they think that that's fair game. But for other people, you know, calling anybody a mammy, that that is a non-starter. some
0: argued, was it in within context? I mean, they were talking about Snoop Dogg, you you can say whether it was or not maybe it just wasn't for her to say it as a as a as a white woman especially with her having a checkered past with some of the comments that she made it actually took the station a while to decide to let her go she kind of sat on the bench for a while and now uh you know they've decided to let her go but it wasn't immediate uh based upon what i understand but uh it's something that folks possibly saw coming based upon her track record. Yeah,
1: and I just think we need to be cautious about just sort of canceling people so quickly without giving people a chance to to, uh, address the injury Mm -hmm. and the harm that they've caused. And so whether you're a news anchor or you're a notable in some other way, I just, I'm real weary of us, you know, having that knee-jerk reaction to cancel people. But to the point that you made earlier, you know, she has made, you know, she's had lapses of judgment in the past. But it was
0: probably time to cancel You know, she was
1: nearing retirement. So, this, this was her way to sail right into early retirement. Uh, I'll tell you who's not retiring anytime hmm. soon. President Biden, he honored nearly two dozen artists and organizations with the government's highest arts award, the National Medal of Arts, at the White House on Tuesday. Among the honorees were Gladys Knight, yes. Bruce Springsteen, Julia Lewis Dreyfus, and other musicians and writers and performers. The pair of medals marked the highest award given to artists by the United States government. The ceremony was delayed, due to COVID-19 and the recipients were the 2021 oh, winners. Ms. I've Gladys. got to say, also, you know, shout out to Dr. Janetta Cole, mm-hmm. uh, who received an award, and Brian Stevenson, uh, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, a personal hero. He also got a medal.
0: Yeah, it, it's just good to see uh, Queen Gladys. She is one of our crown jewels. And, yes. you know, when you talk about the upper echelon, or the, the, the most, some of the most respected folks in, in the village. Yeah, uh, And it was just good to see that that honor finally Came back around. It's interesting to hear that you know they're still playing catch up on uh, events that were you know canceled due to mm-hmm. the uh, pandemic. Seeing as so we're about three years out, so hopefully they can continue to play catch up. And those who uh, were honored or need to be honored uh, will get on that will get on that stage and, and get their just due. Like Miss Gladys
1: and Miss Gladys was looking good. She Did you see, was Ms. Gladys
0: a fabulous in the pink. Right? <laughs> Think.
1: Pink. <laughs> of course, you noticed that. Of course.
0: Coming up, a ban to stop the sale of Skittles.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Please. We'll tell you where this is happening and where a push to stop selling other snacks as well might be happening. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, health officials are bracing for chaos Mm. as states begin to determine who's eligible for Medicaid as the key pandemic policy of guaranteed eligibility in
0: So this is the first time in three years that many states will have to do this, leaving many without health coverage. The Biden administration is giving states a year to go through the once routine process of sorting through Medicaid rolls, though some are moving much faster.
1: Arkansas, for instance, will speed through the redetermination process in only six months citing cost concerns and the goal of Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders to push people to, quote, escape the trap of government dependency.
0: Well, first and foremost, mm. that is a that is a, a huge task to go through and see, you know, who does and and who doesn't. And, you know, I don't know if it really gets to, you know, the root cause of, you know, th- the blue and the red disagreeing on, you know, healthcare, which has been a huge argument for years on top of years on top of years. You know, I know a lot of people benefit from Medicaid, Medicare. You know, it's a little gray as to what does what, and you can kind of get caught up in the system. Um, Um, You know, whatever, you know, they are attempting to do, whatever they are attempting to um, define and clear up, you know, I still think we get we get lost in the bureaucracy of it all. And at the end of the day, people need reliable health care to take care of themselves and their families. Yeah,
1: well, there's a lot of people that rely on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Medicaid works. Medicaid was an essential part of the social safety net during the darkest days of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just to let people sort of fall off of a cliff in terms of support from that program doesn't seem right uh, there. The majority of the states that are making this transition are giving people till, you know, May or June, you know, to to sign up for uh, other health care plans. Uh, But, uh, you know, this former White House press secretary turned governor uh, seems to have an icy cold heart. Lady Sarah. You know, this (laughs) idea of of, uh, uh, sparing people from uh, government dependency.
0: It's interesting. All right, there's a new proposal that would ban the sale of some well liked candies, including these are classics hot tamales, Skittles, and double bubble gum. Say it ain't so. Those and several other processed foods include chemicals and dyes considered dangerous for our health. They can also be found in cupcakes and some of the popular trail mixes and ice creams. The Los Angeles County author of the bill to ban these foods and candy says many companies have already voluntarily stopped using red dye. Number three titanium dioxide and the other chemicals that are listed in these ingredients.
1: Now, one of the things I didn't know in this story is that a lot of these chemicals can cause significant Mm -hmm. health problems, including increased risk for cancer, uh, damage to the immune system and behavioral issues, Mm -hmm. right? And so we've been enjoying these candles for generations, Mm -hmm. these candies for Mm -hmm. generations. Mm Uh, And, you know, who knows, you know, if that was the source of, you know, any sort of behavioral issues, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows. But uh, when you know better, you do better. And because of the science, we know better. And so, you know, Lisa, this legislator in California is trying to do better by our kids. Yeah.
0: But if you're going to call it out, call call it all out. I mean, when you talk about processed food and some of the crazy harmful ingredients uh, and and not just food, let's take a look at, uh, you know, toothpaste and, and mouthwash and things of that nature, things that we don't necessarily digest, but but come in close contact with our with our insides. So if you're gonna call them out, call it all out. Um, I don't know if that's gonna make people hold up from eating Skittles and and those type of uh, candies because they're very popular, but at least to bring about the awareness so people can make, you know, healthier choices when it comes to foods and candies like that.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're sneezing more than usual, new research shows that it could be based on where you're living. The weather channels released their list of the 10 worst cities for seasonal allergies. Coming in at number 10 is Greenville, South Carolina. Number nine, Des Moines, Iowa. Number eight, Orlando, Florida. Number seven, Cape Corral, Florida. Number six, Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Sarasota. Number five, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hmm. And number four, Oklahoma City. Number three, Scranton, Pennsylvania. (laughs) And number two, Dallas, Texas. And topping the list at number one is Wichita, Kansas. Now, this list is compiled from taking the average in all three categories, pollen counts, medicine use, and number of allergy specialists. And it
0: sounds like your phone wanted to help you list some some cities, too. (laughs) Look, it wasn't until I moved to the DMV, and I don't know what what goes on there, where it sits on the coast or something, but that's when all of these allergies all of a sudden came up. I mean, you know, uh, dog saliva, pet dander, Mm -hmm. the grass, the dust. I kind of suffered a little bit in the DMV where I had to start, you know, taking some medication. So even if your city didn't make the list doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're not dealing with some you know seasonal allergies or or all year-round allergies and sometimes they don't come up until your body switches up you know your body changes every seven years and all of a sudden you're allergic to something that you've never been allergic to but um, a lot of respiratory issues in the DMV with that type of weather and so you really have to be careful
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and I don't know I mean I've been having some you know of chronic hoarseness in my voice and Mm -hmm. I don't know if that may be an allergy still waiting to to figure that piece out Mm -hmm. but you know I was never allergic to strawberries until I was 17 years old, and I suddenly became allergic to strawberries. Really? And now I, I break out in hives when I eat strawberries. And so you can become allergic to anything, yeah, anytime. Yeah, it
0: seems very temperamental. Yeah. All right, there's new data that shows that millennials are no longer (laughs) delaying marriage home buying or kids but are piling up a mountain of debt to make this thing happen now since 2019 american millennials in their 30s have seen their total debt load rise 27 percent to listen to this 3.8 trillion As of the fourth quarter of last year, the Wall Street Journal reports that uh, this is is, is the largest increase of any age group measured over this time span and marked this cohort's fastest pace of debt accumulation over any three-year period since 2008. And they also found that millennials are missing credit card and auto loan payments at rising rates. Well, I mean,
1: are we surprised? You know, inflation is something serious, right? And mm. so people are paying a lot more for a, a lot of things, and in order to afford those things, I think a lot of people are putting it on the credit card. You know, uh, I have family members and close friends uh, that uh, talk about, they howl about the cost of childcare, right? And on average, you know, people are, are spending nearly you know ten grand annually and just on that, child care. But I
0: think it has more to do with, you talk about millennials, and you guys were the generation that was really born into the technology, especially the social media and so on and so forth. So I think it's keeping up with the Joneses. I think it's living beyond your means. I think it's, you know, trying to keep up with, with what this IG or social media lifestyle is supposed to look like. And I just think your influences are much heavier, much stronger, and cause a lot of stress, and you're just trying to keep up. I think I that, mean, may,
1: that may be part of it, but that's not I all of it, a, because... I a big well, big part But we're also the generation that was born into the financial crisis. Remember the Great Recession that happened, right? And and that happened as a lot of millennials were coming out of school. But you were also the you know, generation... We, also, we were also born into the generation where, you know, student loan debt skyrocketed. The cost of going to college skyrocketed. And so uh, the keeping up with the Joneses thing is part of it, but that's not even half the story.
0: But you were also the generation born into other types of monies with this whole crypto thing, the other ways of of going about making money where you didn't have to take this traditional route. For me, it wasn't where I was, when I was, if I was going to college, it was where. So there's a lot of more information and access. I just think sometimes you don't manage it too well. And I think it's just the influences. You're always looking at what somebody else has. Mm, and I think a, it really that, affects the way you go about I managing think, your life. And I your life. think
1: that some of us, but that, that, that may not be, it's not I mean, all I'm of I'm us. Not,
0: I'm not going to you know, yeah. blanket that, but I'm yeah. ju- I, what I feel is a big, big, big issue for what this story is talking about in particular is that it's that social media thing it's look at me and you know everybody what Chris Rock say everybody's you know the problem is attention and and how do you garner that you put these highlights of your life you know on social media that ain't even real
1: well for some okay for some just saying (laughs) I, we hear you. <laughs> U.S. employers are increasingly posting salary ranges for job openings, even in states where it's not required by law, which, in the long run, experts say will help black workers. Experts also attribute this transparency to a tight labor market and significant increase in remote work. Salary visibility is lowest in the southern United States, which accounted for 18 of the 20 least transparent metro areas and highest in the western part of the country, which tends to have more regulation. Advocates say it's a trend that benefits women and people of color who statistically fare less well in hiring negotiations I
0: think it's great the transparency uh, but you know how much is it really going to help change and shift I mean that's been a long drawn out debate conversation fight you know as far as the statistics are concerned you know I remember having to fight for for, for equal pay and and not only equal pay but equal billing in there was a, a radio show and I had just as much experience as the, the mm-hmm. young man that they wanted to bring on board and I wasn't going to agree to just be his sidekick it was going to be the Courtney Hicks and whatever show. One, because I was already there and employed and you coming to join us. Um, Whether we got equal pay or not, I'm, I'm hoping that we did. I know I had to fight for that as well. So I appreciate this whole, hey, we're being a little bit more transparent. Is it really making a difference? Uh, that, that, that women and blacks are really seeing just yet? I'm not so sure.
1: Well, I think you're, you're right that this is only one part of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so transparency and pay is one part of it. But it, ultimately, you need positions, p- people in positions of power and influence and authority to act on that information. Mm-hmm. Right. And so No data, no justice, but we still need people to act in order to deliver justice.
0: I agree. All right, so let's focus in here on our Foxo headquarters right here in Detroit. Uh, There's black business. There's a black business alliance that has been formed during the pandemic with the goal of helping level the playing field for business owners.
1: Yeah, now two new partnerships will make an even bigger difference for black businesses in the city. Here's Fox 2's Brandon Hudson with more.
2: J.P. Morgan Chase and the Gilbert Family Foundation are investing a combined 800 grand into black businesses here in Metro Detroit. And this is not just about keeping the lights on at these small minority-owned businesses. This is about creating some generational wealth. At Cheetah's Nefertiti Bar on Detroit's west side.
3: The work that we're, do- we're doing is about closing the racial equity gap. And we can't do that by ourselves.
2: We sat down with Charity Dean, president and CEO of the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance, about a big investment from two well-known brands in Detroit, a $600,000 commitment from the Gilbert Family Foundation and another $200,000 from J.P. Morgan Chase.
3: What it means is that, you know, they're joining the fight. When we first started um, Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance, we had a partner in Gary Torgo and Huntington Bank um, that said we believe in what we were trying to do
0: in Metro Detroit.
2: Dean, an attorney by trade, started MDBBA during the pandemic. Think of it as a nonprofit which does the work of a chamber of commerce. A 2020 report by the Pew Research Center says only 3% of American businesses are black owned, compared to 86% owned by whites. Black businesses are also more likely to close sooner.
3: Before MDBBA was formed, at least in the city of Detroit, you had the blackest city. Um, in the nation with no real advocacy um, and so we started the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance um, to provide an opportunity for black businesses to have a voice.
2: Two years later, MDBBA has 800 members and has secured $9 million in capital. Its new partnership with the Gilbert Family Foundation and J.P. Morgan Chase will help businesses including Cheetah's Nefertiti Bar.
3: I'm a fan of cheetahs. I live right down the street, Uh, but really we actually connected with Dominique, the owner of cheetahs during the pandemic. Uh, She needed help for her business, and so we were able to help uh, Dominique navigate city government. We've been able to help her get funding. She's expanding. She's moving next door, Um, so great things are happening for cheetahs.
2: Charity Dean says what's next for the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance is to sit down with the city about creating an office for small businesses. On Detroit's West Side, I'm Brandon Hudson, Fox 2 News.
0: So buddy, uh, Brandon Hudson, thanks so much for that. Listen, I, you know, I'm from the West side and you know, everybody's familiar with the the, the mile roads here. So six mile Southfield freeway. That's my area. And I, there's a meat market that I frequent and I go up six mile and I take a look at all of the abandoned buildings mm-hmm. and there's are still the business signs up. And I know these at one point were black owned businesses. Some are still hanging in there. Some are f- doing fairly well. But every time I ride down six mile, I'm like, this was somebody's dream. This was somebody's vision. This was somebody's Somebody's hope, this was somebody's, you know, chance, opportunity, risk that just didn't make it. And the reason that they didn't make it is because they don't have the support, is because they don't have the access to, to capital or because, you know, maybe they lack some training or some business and so it's good to see organizations like this, you know, um, form and pop up and, and begin to, to help out because there are so many, you know, we're very yeah. in you know We're creative folks and and, and we want to make our mark, you know, in our communities and in the society. But um, it is just so hard to to do that.
1: Yeah. And that's the case in a lot of cities. I mean, in Los Angeles, you drive down the Slotson Avenue corridor Mm -hmm. near Crenshaw, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in D.C., when you drive down U Street or Mm -hmm. H Street. Um, you know, you see, you know, historical black businesses uh, that, you know, haven't had the access to capital right. uh, that we need in order not to survive, but thrive. Mm-hmm. And so, again, big thanks to Brandon Hudson for that and uh, uh, bring back that uh that uh, cotton like that candy blazer, that was everything. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> still ahead, but good times are still rolling in NOLA, despite efforts to remove the mayor.
0: Yeah, we'll tell you all about the plot to have her kicked from office that didn't go as planned. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox, O's black report. So let's go to Kentucky. Now, where residents of Louisville are pushing for the passage of a city ordinance designed to stop gentrification. That's right. The ordinance would prioritize
1: residents of eight areas for municipal assistance programs and create a pathway to restore land that was wrongfully taken from families by the government.
0: Shamika Parrish-Wright, head of Vocal KY, believes the ordinance is necessary to halt gentrification and assist locals in transitioning from surviving to thriving. Metro Councilman Ja'Cory Arthur sponsored the proposed ordinance, which he expects to file for review soon.
1: I mean, this is significant, mm-hmm. you know, because I think a lot of folks are trying to figure out how to combat gentrification, um, how to, to keep black communities and the character of, of, of communities uh, intact. Uh, and so this is a very interesting proposal. Uh, the main components of the ordinance would prioritize historically Black communities for the city program, and would also include home repair and down payment and small business assistance. And so, you know, this could potentially be a model for
0: other places across the country. Yeah. So sticking with land and, and gentrification, uh, descendants of Eatonville, Florida, are fighting over the remaining 100 acres of what they consider to be sacred land near downtown Orlando and. Disney. Most of the town's land has been sold to developers and the remaining 100 acres was valued at over $20 million. This was back in 2019. Now the land is scheduled for sale on March 31st to a developer for $14 million. Eatonville was founded in 1887 by Joe Clark and was one of the first black incorporated towns. The only recourse for the defendants on what uh, gets built is through its zoning and planning and a possible lawsuit.
1: And joining us now to discuss Louisville, Eatonville, and gentrification is T.J. Lofton, author of Monetizing Gentrification, Building Black Ownership. Welcome to Foxhole's
4: Black Report. Thank you all, appreciate the opportunity to share.
0: Yeah, thanks for the time. So, so let's start off with, with what actually is gentrification. To be honest, for most soulmates is, where do these white people come from? Or how, how do these folks get this money to, to rebuild this house that I've been living mm-hmm. next door and can't can get the money to do and been complaining about? So, so just break it down to us. What, what is and then what isn't you know, gentrification?
4: Well, to me, gentrification is when people see that we're doing well with ourselves and then they decide let's go in there and disrupt let's raise the taxes on the homeowners even though they're on fixed incomes and let's defund the schools and let's push them out and in, in the name of uh, development so let's bring in some new development in here and claim we're going to build affordable housing which is aka gentrification and then you have redevelopment is when they come in there and buy buildings and update the buildings restore the buildings then you have land development where they're coming in and just building brand new stuff. And that's where I see in the case of Edenville, they have an opportunity to develop that land.
1: Well, when we look at stories like what's happening in Louisville and Eatonville, how do we work to take back the land? How do we build black ownership?
4: Well, we should have known, we should have had, a. they should have known how to structure that. Me as a developer, as a real estate expert, I would have, I would have went in there first and said, Okay, we're interested in not selling it to you, but partnering with you on the first hundred acres. And we're looking for, in honor of the uh, Robert uh, Hungford, I would like to create the vocational schools there. So let's create some small business incubators. So meaning some businesses, meaning you only have one business there right now, family Dollar. So if we created a lot of black owned businesses, if they build those and put those in the front, then I would have okayed them putting so many houses in the back, but it would have had to have been built by the local residents of Edenville. Yeah. That way, we could have raised money.
0: T.J., this, this has this been your, your ministry uh, for a while? You have dedicated a lot of time and effort to this uh, very topic here. You've you've crisscrossed this country over 24 states, analyzing gentrification. What are some of your findings yeah. through your through your travels?
4: Well, I look at. I'm from Compton, California, and I looked at. When Elon Musk moved into Compton or Hawthorne, California, mm-hmm. you know, I had a strategy. I knew that he needed to expand. So immediately I, he came in and I used to own tow truck companies, uh, low lowrider shops, uh, paint shops, transmission shops. So I started looking at all of those businesses were being harassed by the city. So I immediately realized that must be that new Elon Musk guy who just recently sold SpaceX. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, PayPal. So we started buying the land up around his office so that he could not expand. And I told all the pe- the gentlemen who had the money to buy up all the houses so he could not expand because I knew he needed X amount of these houses so that he could get what he needed to eminent domain the rest of the city. So eventually you saw that he left California. Mm-hmm. But that came from us. We have a, a structure. We have an infrastructure. To, uh, Cal- Cal- Compton, California, Los Angeles, Carthon, that's the capital of low ride, and That's the infrastructure of custom car restorations. That's the custom car restoration capital. So there's, they're very liquid there. The African Americans there are very liquid that it was no problem to go back and buy the houses up, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we need in Eatonville. We should be, we should have an infrastructure. That's all. We should have an infrastructure in Edenville where we're producing things, accommodating this construction, this housing market. They mm-hmm. should be there making brand new doors, making, you know, granite countertops, making cabinets so that they can tap into this humongous industry of not enough uh, homes to go around. They can supply the things that these developers need right there in Edenville by and that'll fall again. That'll go back into the teaching of youth about vocational skills. Mm-hmm. TG, but we also supply. can
1: you hear me yeah. Oh, yeah yeah tj we know that you have a connection to the late dr cb and uh building black ownership can you tell us uh, a little bit about what you learned from dr cb and and about uh, that effort
4: okay it was dr Sebi. dr Sebi taught me when we met he knew that i had the infrastructure mindset of building a whole complete industries so what most people don't realize is he not only cured the aids passed casting those diseases he also had recipes for uh, plant-based meals where we can cl- replace the rice with quinoa, et cetera, et cetera. So my job with Dr. Savvy was to help him to create chain stores of plant-based pizza, plant-based tacos, you know, just black-owned plant-based uh, alkaline food restaurants that we own and control because, like I said, Dr. Savvy was a genius when it came down to the recipes. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what vegan meant and what we needed. So, so, so that, the- that was my job to help him with
0: is, is there any good that has come from or can come from gentrification? I remember when former uh, President Bill Clinton, I believe, he came out of the White House and, and moved uh, into a, a part of Harlem. It brought a, a lot of attention to Harlem, um, some good in some sense. So, you know, as we wrap up this conversation, is there any good that gentrification can do for our communities?
4: not for our community at all, not at this time. Mm-hmm. If it could become a great situation and we become developers, land developers, and we, we start learning the trades, it'll be a great situation then we could all develop and we start starting businesses, it'll be great. But the problem is the schools are not interested in teaching entrepreneurship, nor the trades or uh, vocational uh, mm-hmm. classes.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, is it even possible to stop gentrification? Is that even yeah. possible?
4: Yes, absolutely when they we should not be allowing like if i would have known early enough i would have never voted i would have voted tesla out i would have never let Mm -hmm. elon musk come into uh, a california because we can prove that he has no african-american employees but maybe two or three so if he's not going to hire us why would we want him here and it goes for all the rest of the googles the facebook's All we have to do is say, no, we don't want them here unless they do a 70 percent local African-American hire, not a minority hire, but an African-American hire. Other than that, if we stop the corporations from coming, then the developers will stop coming as well.
0: Wow. Well, stay on fire, uh, T.J. Lofton. We appreciate your time uh, and your efforts and that good trouble that you've been getting yourself in. And uh, you're now an official soulmate. we got to have you back to discuss this uh, a lot more as uh, the effort uh, continues to just really bring about awareness. We
4: appreciate you. No problem. Thank you for the great, great work you're doing by even talking about it. That's Thank major. You. Thank, Thank you, indeed, brother. Indeed. Appreciate you. Likewise. Well, the
1: effort to recall New Orleans Mayor Latoya Cantrell has failed following an official count of petition signatures released by Louisiana governor's office on Tuesday. Although the petition sheets contained over 67,000 signatures, most were declared invalid by the registrar. Governor John Bell Edwards announced that only 27,243 of the signatures were valid. Falling about 18,000 short of what was needed to force a referendum.
0: I, I don't know how concerned my sister was. I don't. You know, she's very active on social media, you know, out and about with Mardi Gras, dancing, you know, and despite some of the uh, backlash she got via those floats that, you know, made fun of mm-hmm. her administration and her muralsh- uh, muralship. But listen, um, you know, there was some kind of quiet confidence there where she knew she was not going to be, um, you know, taken out. And uh, it has been been proven in uh, in this in this latest uh, this development here And it looks like she's here to stay, at least for now, whether you agree uh with her being off in office or not. A lot of people who are for her say, look, she hasn't been involved in anything more than any other mayor. Um, you know, could it be because she mm-hmm. is a black female where she's been unfairly uh targeted? You know, New Orleans uh, politics is messy and uh so you know, add mayor and stir well so and, she still has a lot of supporters
1: and politics in a lot of places is is very messy mm-hmm. and you know the fact that uh you know we can't ignore the fact that these recalls are, are tactics being used mm-hmm. by some folks mm-hmm. um to muck things up mm-hmm. and prevent uh progress from happening we've seen it on the state and local level in a number of different states and so you know mayor Cantrell is just the latest uh, elected official sitting elected official to fight back against this tactic
0: all right it's time to celebrate and today we celebrate black history with a twist of black girl magic in honor of women's her story month
1: that's right a 2018 florida a m university graduate just became the first black woman to ever become a neurosurgeon resident at vanderbilt university tamia potter is currently going viral Mm -hmm. on social media From her recent tweet of the news. I mean,
0: she is just all over the place. We talked about this this morning in our meeting. She tweeted, my first job was a certified nursing assistant at 17 years old Mm -hmm. in 2014. Today, on March 17th, 2023, I was blessed to be selected as the first African-American female neurosurgery resident to train at Vanderbilt University Medical Center for Neurosurgery. Uh, we want to say and give a big congratulations to to Mia Potter and let me tell you first and foremost Vanderbilt is no joke honey that's That's like the Ivy League or that little area and then to be studying what she studied and just everything you had to dedicate just to get to this point and now the real real work begins and uh, nothing but the best for her that's right
1: that's right and and tis the season there are so many stories on social media right now of uh, medical students matching Mm -hmm. right Uh, you know they are matching with whatever medical and they're going to continue to uh, to hone their skills at. And so congratulations to her and so many out there. We know there's a shortage of black nurses and doctors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she's doing the work to 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 address that Mm -hmm. up next the weekend. First, he was the most streamed artist and now he's breaking world records.
0: Yeah, we'll tell you about the Guinness world record he has set for the first time ever. There he is. You're watching Fox News Black Report. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Well, Cardi B's $4 million defamation verdict against gossip blogger Tasha Kay is being upheld by an appeals court. The verdict against Tasha Kay came after the blogger made salacious mm. claims on YouTube about drug use, STDs, and prostitution. The appeals court ruled that Tasha Kay, whose real name is Latasha Kibi, had failed to properly make that argument to the trial judge, meaning that she forfeited the right to do so before an appeals court. The judge ruled that Tasha would need to either immediately pay Cardi B or secure a bond covering the entire amount Mm -hmm. while she appeals. It's unclear if she ever did either.
0: And three men have been found guilty in the 2018 murder of rapper XX Extension. X, whose real name is Jossie Anfro, uh, was attacked and gunned down outside a motorcycle shop in Florida. Michael Boltwright, Travion Newsom, and Diedrich Williams will be sentenced April 6th. A fourth man pleaded guilty to second degree murder charges in that case and testified against the other defendants. What is happening in Florida? It's a lot going on in Florida lately, huh? Yeah. Yeah, well, this happened This happened a while back, and so, you know, these these murder trials take a while, mm-hmm. and obviously now we, we have what we have as far as the result, but uh, lots popping off in Florida. A lot of, you know, hip-hop, uh, that area has a, a big, flourishing hip-hop scene, and sometimes we know that, unfortunately, uh, you know, with that, culture comes... Um, Messiness, and, and that's uh, that's what you have. And here.
1: sometimes, when well, you got a messy governor to match, you Uh-oh. know. No, I'm just <laughs> oh, saying. Well, there it is. Jay Morant, uh, Dr- Jay Morant, rather, the all-star point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, has rejoined the team after serving an eight-game suspension, and is expected to play in tonight's game against the Houston Rockets. The team held Morant out of Monday's game to allow him time to ramp up his conditioning after spending two weeks away from the team during which he attended a Florida counseling facility. Morant was suspended for eight games for conduct detrimental to the league after live streaming a video of himself holding a firearm while appearing to be intoxicated. He addressed his teammates and coaching staff on Monday, but details were not disclosed.
0: And keeping with basketball for just a moment, uh, legend Irvin Magic Johnson, the homie, the fellow Spartan, joins investment group in a bid for the Washington Commanders NFL team, led by investor Josh Harris. Now the group is competing with others to purchase an ownership stake in the team, which was listed with a value of $5.6 billion after owners Dan and Tanya Snyder announced their intention to sell last November. Johnson, who was already part owner of the L.A. Dodgers, previously teamed up with Harris on a failed bid to buy the Denver Broncos. It remains unclear how much Johnson is willing to contribute to the purchase. But whatever he's willing to contribute, if he's a part of this purchase, uh, herein lies some progress and maybe NFL ownership can't deny that.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is great. I just love that there are so many conversations around ownership. There's Mm -hmm. so much happening in that space. And this ain't a little bit of money. This is big money. This is big money. And, you know, Magic Johnson, you know, has been just sort of, you know, an exemplary uh, example of what it means to, you know, make money, but also do good by your community. Yeah,
0: and going back to the story prior to All Eyes on Ja tonight, uh, we, we hope the best. We hope the the training and the um, counseling uh, has worked and will continue to work, and uh, he will continue to flourish on that court. He's one of the best right now to, 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 to do it that's right all right the weekend uh is having a great 2023 so far the canadian artist has broken two guinness world records and is set to start in an upcoming hbo drama series guinness world records announced that the weekend is now the world's most popular artist the earned it singer currently has 111.4 million monthly listeners on spotify breaking the previous record of 100 million monthly listeners and has surpassed Ed Sheeran's 77.5 million monthly listeners. Now, the weekend's boost in streams is partially credited to his Die for You remix featuring Ariana Grande that uh, went viral on TikTok. I'm just glad he cut his hair because I was (laughs) not understanding that. I felt like it wasn't as clean as it needed. How do you get up in there? So I'm just glad he kind of flip the look a little bit let me tell you he's a I, handsome guy
1: you know i've heard the weekend perform at coachella mm-hmm. you know he has a great voice mm-hmm. I, I even his, his studio projects don't always do him justice mm-hmm. but just because you got all those streams don't mean you got the same notoriety as some of the legends i was gonna so. say because
0: when you think of big, big stream numbers the weekend just doesn't come to mind so this is kind of surprised me a little bit yeah but good for him still ahead it's our favorite you already know it is black excellence time <laughs>
2: that's
1: right we'll introduce you to the family that's buying block and keeping gentrifiers far away. Hmm. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be right back.
0: And we are back. You see it you see it right now on Fox Souls black report. It is time for black excellence. All right. We want to introduce you to doctor Tarsia and Derek Hubert from Lott, Texas, who purchased an entire block of abandoned commercial property to feature black owned businesses in the community community after spending years highlighting black owned businesses uh, through their YouTube channel.
1: That's right. The couple says that the goal is for people to come visit and patronize these black businesses along with developing nearby residential areas. Construction is in process for a wing restaurant, Mm -hmm. a coffee shop, and other restaurants as the plan is to have the block up and running just in time for the summer.
0: Additionally, the Hubers uh, wants the location to be an option for people looking towards retirement. So there's, there's that residential component there. So congratulations to them. For today's stories and more, access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our streaming partners like Samsung Plus, YouTube, Roku. You can check out past shows and other Fox Soul content when you visit foxo.tv, and don't forget soulmates when you download that foxo app it is absolutely free and you can be with us all day every day because we would want to do the same with you.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's and it's all free. It's it all is. free. So they ain't gotta worry about that. At but all. but you know the cost of, of gentrification mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is. Well,
0: that's uh, the. I feel like that's the flip side. So we, we talked to J T. about you know some of the negative aspects, but you know that story that we just tapped into, I think that's a positive of, of it's black on black gentrification, which is which is a, a good thing. Yeah.
1: I mean, I really like what they're doing in Eatonville. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in Louisville, what mm-hmm. they're experimenting with in terms of what happens if you make it sort of a, a historical district and you provide folks with down payment assistance. Mm-hmm. Give people the tools to be able to stay in their neighborhoods mm-hmm. after there is redevelopment. And we also
0: need to be a part of the process. If you're going to build and upgrade, we need to be a part of the process. We need to be the builders. We need to be the contractors and so on and so forth. I think that's what uh, yeah. the interviewer was saying it, earlier as well.
1: And I think that city council member in Louisville understands that. so we'll continue to keep our eye on that and more. Thanks to all of you for joining us. I'm, I'm Nicor Delay Cortez and I'm Courtney Hicks. Until next time, soulmates, stay lifted.